When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome back to the Survival Show Podcast. I'm producer Ben. And before we get into today's Manly Music segment, let me just remind you to hit that subscribe button. That way, you never miss any of our segments or shows. As you listen today, I hope this segment gives you some great food for thought to chew on for your day ahead. Alright, let's get into it. Here's the man, the myth, the legend, Master Craig. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. And there you have it from Mr. Thomas Paine, who was trying to embolden a nation of colonials in what was at that point known as America, the 13 colonies, after signing the Declaration of Independence. So, happy 4th of July. What I wanted to do today for my manly musings, this is Craig, co-host of the Survival Show podcast is just share a little insight into just one of the hundreds of things that happened to help birth the nation that we now call America. So you may or may not know, depending upon your age and your interest in American history, that there were 13 colonies that had rebelled against the country that oversaw them, Great Britain, that was an ocean and away. And they did this when they declared themselves independent through the Declaration of Independence. On July 9th of 1776, the announcement was read aloud in Lexington. I can imagine that the founders, when signing the Declaration, and it not being a world where Facebook and the Internet were prominent, it was going to take a while for everybody to know what was going on. So they started reading aloud the Declaration. The, de- the actual declaration, think about that for a moment, reading aloud throughout the whole of the country at that point, those 13 colonies. Now, what we know about those that were the colonial militia, they were lawyers, they were tradesmen, they were farmers, they were blacksmiths, artists, and a lot more. So basically what we had then was a cross-section of the very fabric of what America was made from. A very diverse group of people with varying backgrounds. At this point, George Washington, the first president of the United States of America, who was a general at this point, had not led more than 1,000 men at any one given time in combat. With the signing of the Declaration, 
he then immediately became in charge of 23,000. Interesting enough, when the Brits determined to send a force here to basically scold their little American children back into where they wanted them to be, that was their perspective, they sent half of their military across the ocean to do exactly that, somewhere around 25,000 men. They arrived in New York, and their intent was to push the terms of the crown, which was much like, again, the crown basically telling Americans what it was they wanted us to do. Quit sucking our thumbs, quit playing with fire, and get back to English rule. Their army was a bit different. Nearly a third of the British Army at this time were made up of Hessian contractors, basically paid professional warfighters, who had a very distinct and well-known knack for warfare. The British Army at this time was under the control of General William Howe. They were well-trained, and when they arrived, they basically trounced Washington and the Colonials in several different cities, including Brooklyn, New York City, Manhattan and the Jersey Plains. It's kind of weird to consider now when I say all those names, Brooklyn, New York City, Manhattan, that those were frontier areas. There were large encampments there. There were the beginnings of cities, but it's hard to imagine that that's where battles were fought. And there were still typical frontier type environment that they had to deal with. So after this trouncing, what it came down to is that there was actually very little stopping the British from, in essence, just waltzing right into the capital of our fledgling country, which at that point was Philadelphia, and just taking control and doing exactly what they came to do, which is to just scold their children, the Americans. And because of these losses in New York City and Manhattan and Brooklyn and, and in the Jersey Plains, there was a lot of consternation from all the colonials, both those who were fighting and those who were supporting them that were fighting. So many of them deserted and went back to their homes and their farms. So out of that large number of men that were available to Washington, by December of 1776, there were only approximately 3,800, 3,800 colonial soldiers left to fight. And at the end of December, most of their enlistments were up, which was a very important strategic thing to consider. And at that point, they would most likely go back to, again to their homes and farms. Washington's journals at this time indicated that he was incredibly wearied and tired basically to the point of exhaustion with the war, with his own personal life. He was just completely spent and wanted to give up. His journals were very clear about that. It seemed as if they were completely demoralized and the whole effort to become a new country and to develop a new way of doing business, if you will, and doing liberty in the way that America did, seemed that it was just simply doomed, and it wasn't going to happen. 
the British thought this too. They actually thought they had the W wrapped up. They thought they won. They started plundering New Jersey. And when I mean plundering, they were stealing and robbing and taking anything and everything they wanted, both from the rebels that they referred to, the colonial rebels, which was us Americans, and actually even those that had remained loyal to Britain. They were just taking anything and everything they wanted. So here's what happened. For any of you that might be listening that are from New Jersey, thank you for this. That pissed off a bunch of New Jersey folks. A bunch of New Jersey militiamen. So they started targeting British encampments and seeking and taking and getting revenge. And it was about this time that Thomas Paine was writing those words that I stated before. Which again, let's say those again because they're awesome. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. So you can imagine Thomas Paine writing all that he was writing. And these words and these essays were spread throughout the colonies. They were read in churches. They were read in bars. They were read around campfires. They were read in cabins. And they were also read around the encampments and inside the encampments and around the campfires of those who were fighting the war. Not enough can be said about how valuable that was to the continuance of those who were in the midst of the war. Because of this, Washington's army had once again started to grow and had made its way to nearly 7,000 men who knew full well what they were getting into. They had heard about the, the trouncing that Washington had encountered in New York. They knew that the weather was terrible, but the ranks were growing. They were becoming Americans in the most truest and greatest sense. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Because the British thought they had won, they started to thin out their encampments throughout New Jersey. And because of this, Washington spies started sending the information back to Washington, and he started considering what it was that he was going to do. Remember, this is December. It's cold. It's snowing. There's maybe a good foot of snow on the ground in this part of the world, sometimes waist-high deep snow in this part of the world. Some of the information that came back to Washington was that his spies recognized that in Trenton, New Jersey, just across the Delaware, near his camp was an especially vulnerable area due to the roads and the terrain. So how about that for some train analysis, right? 
they recognize that due to the terrain, due to the snow, due to the the roads in and out of that particular area, that Trenton was going to be difficult for anyone to get reinforcements and recognize that it was going to be difficult for a retreat. And so the thought was, can they cross the Delaware and in so doing come out the other side and be strong enough to be a fighting force to be reckoned with when they got to Trenton? Looking at the information and the history, Washington knew that recently another army had taken five days, that's complete total, five days to cross the Delaware near this same point. But again, Payne's words were ringing in the ears of everyone involved, and Washington knew that he was getting ready to lose nearly everybody due to enlistments. So what did he do? He planned an incredible battle plan put it together, discussed it with his generals, and it looked something like this. His plan was on Christmas night, his army would cross the Delaware at three different points. This is again in the dead of winter. And they would effectively trap the Hessians in Trenton. Again, remember, these Hessians were German contract killers who were very good at what they did. So they were going to cross the Delaware, get soaking wet in the middle of winter, and fight the Hessians who were resting and relaxed and well-fed. The plan was, after capturing the Hessians, Washington would march about 2,400 cold and hungry soldiers into the heart of Trenton to the main force there. Another general, James Ewing's brigade, with about 800 Pennsylvania militiamen. Thank you, Pennsylvania. David and Ben, Pennsylvanians, you're born of these type of men. James Ewing's brigade, full of 800 fine Pennsylvania militiamen with some fine-looking Pennsylvania long rifles, would seize the important bridges leading to and from Trenton. Again, this is the plan. And other militiamen, under Colonel, and I'm not exactly how to say his name as I was reading it, I don't know, Catawalder, along with colonials and basic farmers, would attack the Hessians protecting Trenton on another side. That sounds like a pretty good plan, doesn't it? To me, sounds like a great plan. However, immediately after starting, the plan completely and totally started falling apart. Ewing's and Catawalter's men struggled terribly with crossing the Delaware. There were huge, large chunks of frozen ice throughout the Delaware River. So just as a means of adding to this, I used to do some training up in that neck of the woods many, many years ago. And I traveled up there about four or five years in a row, and we found the point where uh, Washington had crossed the Delaware, and me and the guys that I was with at the time waded in and got into the Delaware River. Now, this was in August when it's extremely hot, and it was extremely cold. I remember standing in that river at that point, just in the heat of August because we were hot, 
from training, thinking how good it felt because it was so cold, but we did not last in the middle of August in that cold river. I just, at that point, I was just humbled yet again at what these men did when they crossed the Delaware. The bulk of Washington's men, which was around 2,400, had large cannons, and they also were having an extreme difficulty getting across the river, basically building small rafts to ferry the cannons across, because obviously you couldn't carry those across. You had to float them across. Now the question I have for you, it's worthy of my consideration, it's worthy of yours, as far as survival is concerned. Where do you think Washington was when all this is going on? Was he back in the tent continuing his plans? Was he sitting there eating crumpets and drinking tea? Nope. Nope, not at all. Washington was the first man to cross the river. He was in the lead boat. That famous painting that we see of Washington crossing the Delaware, that's him. You know, my friends in the military, and also in business, I would say, Washington was leading from the front. They did finally make it across the Delaware, but when they did, it was around 3 a.m. in the morning, which was a three full hours behind schedule of what Washington had planned. At this time, not that at this time he wrote this, but Washington later wrote at during this time, he had serious considerations of retreating at this point. His men were freezing. They were struggling getting all the equipment across. But he realized that with the time frame that they had, if they took the same amount of time to get across back across the river, the Hessians would find out about their location. And then his men would be fighting from retreat while they were in the middle of the river. Which basically would be a slaughter. His men would be slaughtered. And if his men were going to get slaughtered, and they were going to lose, he was going to do it standing. And he was going to enter in. He was going to go forth. So put yourself in his shoes again. Think about it. The birth of the new country really hangs in the balance at this point. And obviously, he decided to press on. Washington and Ewing's men pressed on to Trenton, while Trenton again at this point was protected by 1,500 battle-hardened Hessians. Now, your 8th grade textbook will tell you, which is wrong, dead wrong, that they were partying and drunk. They did have the sense that they had won or in the process of winning this war. But they were anything but partying and drunk. They had men that were on fire watch. And for those that have been on fire watch, you know what I'm talking about. No sleep, up, all night, taking shifts, making sure that everybody's paying attention. Doing your rotations. Making sure that when you rotate, you're stopping, you're listening. What do you see? What do you hear? If you hear something, pushing somebody out while others watch and see if anything happens. They were on fire watch. And we know from written journals that the other men that were not on fire watch, the ones that were getting rest and were getting sleep, were in complete and total full battle dress. What, again, what my friends in the military will call, they were in their battle rattle. They were ready. 
there wasn't no, hey, we're going to get drunk and party. They were in full kit. They were ready to rock. Their rifles were right with them, completely loaded. Completely. Black powder primed in the frizzing. They're ready. They're ready to rock. Don't let your 8th grade textbook tell you any different. They were ready to defend and kill anyone who was in the process of trying to take Trenton. But due to so much confusion in the middle of the night, and even though these Hessians were ready, commanders of the Hessians did not expect it on a Christmas night, there was a lot of confusion. And because of this, the Hessian commanders assumed that they had been surrounded on three different sides, completely surrounded, because again, they had the river on the other side. Because of this, rather than initially retreat, which would have allowed nearly all of them to get away without being harmed, he ordered the men, the Hessians, his, the commander, and I think he, I can't remember his name, the Hessian commander ordered his men to stand and fight. And that's what they did. And they were good at it. But so did the colonial militia. And a bunch of men and boys with the ferocity that uh, the the ferocity the ferocity that was born of the birth pains of a new nation came was coming at them at the end of the battle 100 hessians were killed 900 were captured and 500 escaped Prepping for this, I, I don't know exactly the numbers of what happened to Washington's men, but he noted in his journals that several of his men literally froze to death in this battle. A few died in battle, but as a whole, it was an incredible victory for Washington. Now, there's a lot more to it, right? There's a lot more to our history in this country. I just wanted to share a little bit of what is involved on this 4th of July and the way we got to the way we are now. Now the question remains, what in the heck does this have to do with the Survival Show podcast? In my mind, it has everything to do with the Survival Show podcast. We live in a pretty fantastic country, you all. You've got a good old boy from Kentucky and a good old boy from Pennsylvania putting together a podcast trying to help people there's just a lot of countries in this world we wouldn't be able to do that. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for men and boys that volunteered to go and sleep in the snow, watch some of their friends and family freeze to death in the process, cross a frozen river up to waist and chest-deep water at times to go fight for what we now call America. It's humbling. It's absolutely 100% humbling to me. So as you begin or go about your 4th of July celebration, just find a little history of your own. Read up. See what happened. See if there's anything out there that you were not aware of. I guess the most important thing is to not forget. Those that forget their history are doomed to repeat it.
I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But I do see that there's a large number of people that are in the business of inwardly trying to destroy our country. I would rather us continue to be able to talk about survival, to practice and train with survival, to check out the latest knife and the new piece of gear that's really cool and play with and enjoy it in this beautiful and free country that we have. If we don't continue to celebrate the 4th of July and remember our history, we are doomed to repeat it. Forces within are going to destroy us, and we are not going to be playing survival anymore. We're going to be in the midst of survival. So celebrate today. If that involves getting on the river and kayaking like I'm going to be doing, if that involves getting with family and barbecuing, if that involves whatever it involves, sitting at home and playing video games because you got the day off and, man, you've been working a lot lately, whatever it means for you, then celebrate it. Be thankful for it. Just remember how you've got these freedoms, how you have this liberty that you have in this beautiful, wonderful country. And for me, Craig Cottle, co-host of the Survival Show podcast, for my manly musings on the 4th of July. Thank you. Thank you for listening in. Thank you for taking the time today or this weekend to remember your history so that you and I and all of us are not doomed to repeat it. All right, guys, that wraps up today's Manly Musings segment. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned a lot. Let us know what you think. And remember, keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.